it's much more worth it to take the risk and go and do what you're not good enough to do and see what happens than it is to hide in a little ball and never even see. If you're a person who's looking to have more purpose in your life, if you're saying to yourself, I don't wanna just go to work, I wanna do my life's work, this is the show. This is the show, don't keep your day job. How do you figure out how to take your passion and turn it into a profit? Life is too short not to wake up every day excited. You've got something that you've got to share with the world. I'm positive. That's why you're here. The show will not just give you inspiration, but some real life tools that you can start to take some real action week after week so that you can not just go to work and build someone else's dream. You can do the thing that you've always truly wanted to do. Make yourself the happiest version of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so happy that you're here. 2018, this is going to be your year. Thanks to Slack for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Slack is a collaboration hub that lets you organize your team's work into channels where everyone is included, relevant information is in one place, and new team members can easily get up to speed. Learn more at slack.com. This episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job is brought to you by Blue Apron. When it comes to dinner, let Blue Apron take care of the planning and shopping while you do the cooking and the eating. Blue Apron is treating Don't Keep Your Day Job listeners to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash dreamjob. So check out this week's menu and get $30 off with free shipping at blueapron.com slash dreamjob. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Skillshare is offering our listeners a limited time offer of two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash dreamjob. That's Skillshare.com slash dreamjob to get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. Act now for the special New Year's offer and start learning today. Hey guys, it's Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. You are in for such a treat today. Martha Beck is with us and she's a visionary. She's so bright and she's so lovely. You guys are going to love her. I'll tell you in one second who she is in case you don't know. Before we bring on Martha, I just wanted to share something with you. Years ago, I went with a friend to a yoga class and I remember sitting down on the mat and the teacher said, I want to invite everybody to really come into this room and collect your thoughts from whatever was going on earlier today or whatever you're anxious about tomorrow. And I just want you to arrive right here. And when she said it, everybody sort of realized that we are usually in a million other places rather than just being right here right now. And she said, I invite you to zip off your ego and all that stress and just put it right next to you. And she said, I promise it'll be there for you when you leave if you want it. And it was a fascinating thing I'd never heard anyone say before. And every week when you come and you listen to the show, I invite you to really arrive here and to put on these goggles where you're looking at the world with this open-minded feeling that everything is possible and that you are loved and that you are extraordinary and open your heart because especially today, Martha has such kindness and goodness inside of her and she has so many beautiful things to offer and maybe just for the course of this next hour you can invite in the possibility that what she's saying might be true and that you are really as extraordinary as she and I believe you are and I just would invite you to try that on. I'm really here always supporting you, flying your flag. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so on Instagram at kathy.heller, C-A-T-H-Y dot H-E-L-L-E-R. And I respond, I respond, I do, to all my DMs. And I post every single day with you guys in mind, something to keep you going, to fuel you, to remind you that you're amazing and you've got this. Um, so come check me out over there and I'll be there to support you whenever you need it. Also, if you like this episode, please make sure you subscribe to this show wherever you listen. We've got a lot of good conversations coming up. And if you know someone who could use a little dose of inspiration and enlightenment in their lives, why not share it with them, right? We'd really, really appreciate it. Okay, now let me tell you about Martha. So Martha is a best-selling author of books such as Finding Your Own North Star, Expecting Adam, Leaving the Saints, The Joy Diet, and many more. She's been named one of the best-known life coaches in America by Psychology Today, USA Today, and NPR. She has three Harvard degrees, and she's been a columnist for O, the Oprah magazine, for years. If that weren't enough, she also speaks around the world, leads workshops. She just did one with Liz Gilbert, um, who wrote the amazing book, Eat, Pray, Love, and other incredible things. Um, and she has her own writing course called Write Into Light. If you want to find out more on that and Martha, you can visit her website, marthabeck.com. 
She's just an absolute delight. She has such an interesting perspective on how we engage with the world. I heard her live several years ago, maybe 10 years ago, at an Oprah event in San Francisco. And I was standing in the crowd thinking one day, um, I'd love to have, you know, more time with this person up close. And um, that time is today. I'm sure you guys are going to love her. We're going to take a quick second to thank our sponsor, and then we're going to dive right in. Thanks to Slack for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Slack is a collaboration hub that lets you organize your team's work in easily searchable channels, whether it's projects, interests, teams, or by office. All the right people are always in the loop. Relevant information is in one place, and new team members can easily get up to speed. Slack connects the tools and services you need in one place. You can organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives all in one easy-to-use app. No more searching through emails for that one follow-up or through multiple tabs and platforms to find what you're looking for. Drag and drop file sharing that works with all the apps you already to use like JIRA, Salesforce, Zendesk, and Google Drive. Plus, you can tailor Slack to work with more than a thousand other apps. With mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up where you left off no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens. Learn more at slack.com. That's slack.com. Hi, Martha. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Thank you, Kathy. It's a joy to be here. It's so cool to get to spend this time with you. This is one of the reasons I love this work so much is I get to have like a masterclass and then share it (laughs) with all these people. And I get to talk to someone who's so extraordinary. You've done so many things and you've written books and you've been writing lots of different different things. (laughs) But before we get to that, because there's so much there, I just want to put it in context And um, you're kind of a mystery because even like when I read your bio, it tells me, you know, that you're super smart and you went to Harvard and you have three kids. But I want to kind of know the story that leads you to be so enlightened, so spiritual. Can you just take us through your story a little bit that brings you to being like a best-selling author and writing for Oprah? Like, how did this happen? Because you weren't born doing this, right? No, okay. I was I was really lucky. I was born seventh of eight children wow. in a big, rowdy family where my mother was completely exhausted. And as a result, I grew <laughs> up sort of wild. Like I, I really just spent a lot of time outside and a lot of time figuring out what I wanted to do. And like nobody cared if I went to school or not. I was just I was raised very free, but I was I was very driven, and I wanted to succeed and do things. You know, if you put Mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. in front of me, I would want to do it well. So I ended up doing well in school and I was afraid of everything else. So I just kept going to school. Also, my father was a professor. So I, that was the only thing I knew how to be Uh, later as a life coach. Yeah. I would learn that everybody thinks it's easy to be what their parents were. So I, I just kept going to school and uh, loved it. And then I became a sociology professor and started teaching business school and realized kind of for the first time that most people don't feel free to do what they want. And this Hmm. was just completely dumbfounding to me. It's like, why would you do something like, why would you do a job you don't like that did not compute with me? And I'd also had reasons to break the rules when I was at Harvard in the middle of my PhD. I had a child prenatally diagnosed with Down syndrome, and there was just barely time to have a legal abortion. And I really had to think, like, what do I want to do here? And, uh, you know, I had to sit and think, what is the reason for having a human life? Like, not, it wasn't whether or not I wanted a baby, that choice had been made. But the question was, what kind of a baby is worth having? Mm. And that brings us to the question, what kind of a human life is worth having? And I thought and thought, and I decided, you know, I looked around at the people at Harvard that I admired and that I aspired to be, and none of them seemed particularly happy. They really, as a rule, did not. And I thought the only reason for being alive, Emerson said that beauty is its own excuse for being. And for me, joy is the felt sense of beauty and joy is its own excuse for being. And I had a feeling and had been told that this child would be able to experience joy. So why not let that be good enough? So I kept the baby. And if you have a child with a disability, then it changes every day. It's not like I just lost a child and had to go on. It changed everything I did. So every day I was confronted with this. The only reason for existing is to have joy. So that combined with the freedom of my childhood meant that I had very 
unorthodox behaviors. I would just, if there was something I didn't want to do and I didn't have to do, I didn't do it. If there was, there was something I wanted to do, I did it. And my business school students started asking me about this weird life philosophy I seem to have. And I, <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, well, I'll write it down in a book. It seems very, very obvious. So I wrote a book called Finding Your Own North Star, and I've been making bank off it ever since. And here's <laughs> what it says in a nutshell. If there's something that you really hate and it makes you physically sick and it makes you want to stab yourself in the eyes with a fork, maybe you could do a little less of it. <laughs> and if there's something that makes you extremely happy and makes you leap with energy and fills you with delight, maybe do it. I don't know. Just try that. That's the whole book. Wow. Right? And people were like, uh, what? Go back. <laughs> you know, and I was like, what part of this do you people wow. not understand? I had no idea. I had no idea. So there it was. And there's my career. Unbelievable. And you're right. You're like, this is simple, isn't it? And people are like, nope, I don't get it. You need to sort of unpack that for nope. me. Well, I yeah. want to unpack it. So you start up by talking about the disconnected self. What is that? What does that mean? Well, I see things as being either, I, I divide them in that book between what I call the essential self and the social self. And the essential self is simply your genotype. It's what you were born to be genetically. And it would be the same no matter what, what society you lived in, what society you'd been raised in or who raised you. Then there's what I call the social self. And the social self is completely in response to the people who raised you or the culture that raised you. It's what gave you language. It's what gives you your um, aesthetic tastes. And it's also what gives you those internalized rules for behavior that tend to dominate mm -hmm. every day of your life. So if the cultural self, sorry, the social self and the essential self get along well, like I loved school and school was mandatory for me. No problem. Wonderful. Right. Couldn't be better. But if they're different, like I had a daughter who's brilliant, but hated school. It was just, just anathema to her very nature. And that starts to create all kinds of problems because you can't fight your wild self, your essential self forever. You can try and try and try to fit in with your culture. But in the end, if it's opposed to your yep. nature, you will start to sort of crack at the seams. And then you start to develop symptoms that mm. something's wrong. And that's the point at which you want to stop and see where you violated your essential nature and go back to that. And, and in the process, you'll violate some of the rules of your mm -hmm. culture, mm -hmm. your family culture, your na national culture, whatever. And that's why people don't do it. But what I say is do it. Yep. <laughs> and you talk about reconnecting and how your essential self says no. And is that that's what you mean by that? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and it's very simple. You go to your body. Sometimes I do this with executive groups and I'll say, we're going to, I just want you to feel the inside of your hands. I want you to feel the inside of your torso, you know, do a scan through your body. And they're like, that's too woo woo. I won't do that. What could be less woo woo than your own that's physical body, which you drag around everywhere. Your body has intense, very measurable physiological responses to anything you do that isn't good for it. So anytime you lie, your muscle strength weakens, your blink rate goes up, mm. your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure rises, your immune system goes down, and you can actually feel it. And we've all had that feeling of going to do something yep. that was just wrong for us, and our bodies felt like yep. lead weights, yep, yep, right? Yep. And we got sick, and we couldn't focus mentally, and we couldn't get out of bed. That's a signal, <laughs> and it's not subtle. And yet we fight and fight as if it has yeah. no meaning, as if it's something random that just, oh, I'm not feeling well today. And it's all meant to guide us. And if we don't listen, we're going to, it rises to the level of crisis mm -hmm. at some point. And I've seen people do that. You definitely want to, this is my slogan, cave early. <laughs> the moment you feel that something's not right for you, just give up. And go do something good, you know, that's fun for you. How do you know the difference between when it's because you're afraid of getting out of your comfort zone versus this is not, this is not for me, I'm not supposed to be here. The comfort zone fear is like the fear of falling in love. 
you know, when you first fall in love and you don't know if the other person loves you back, there's this heady, like something, oh my gosh, it's so appealing to me, but I'm so afraid I can't have it. I'm so afraid it will all go wrong. I'm so afraid I'll get hurt. That means you're going out of your comfort zone in the right way. And that's always there. That fear will always be there because if there's something that your heart really wants, there will be fears around losing it or not doing well enough at it. But you know the difference between the fear that you had when you were falling in love and the fear that you had in your worst class in high school, you know, the dread of walking through that damn door again. Yep, you're right. Completely different feeling. Yep. I had a friend who she thought she wanted to get married. She was always feeling ambivalent about this person. And when he finally proposed, immediately right after he asked her, she just like felt like she was going to throw up. She got sick. She didn't feel good. She had to sit down and she mm-hmm. couldn't breathe. And she's like, I think maybe I'm not supposed to do this. Like she like really couldn't take it. Hallelujah. She noticed. Right. I've known people. <laughs> I have known many people who told me that they had to get absolutely plastered to get through their own wedding. Oh my God. You know? That's a horrible thing. Ay, ay, ay. That, I mean, everything in us is screaming. No, how much louder Do you want your body to scream before you get that it's saying no? We're just taught not to respond because every culture thrives (sighs) by getting people to follow it rather than their own nature. So let's go to chapter three, getting to the yes. So it's like, let's say all your life, you've been conditioning yourself to, to want things other people want you to want. It seems like it's hard for people to answer the question of like, well, what do you want? What kind of life do you want? People, I don't know. Yeah. How do you get to that? Well, this is in the book. What I do is I go through getting past trauma, emotional wounding. So it, I don't mean trauma like necessarily horrible, taken into captivity and shot in the head trauma. Just right. anything right. that divides us from our true nature is a small trauma or a large trauma. So what happens is that people get so traumatized by their own socialization that they lose track of their own real desires. So if I shot you with an arrow and there was an arrow still in your chest and then you came, you came stumbling in and said, please get me to a hospital. If I, as a life coach said, okay, Kathy, but first let's talk about what you want to do with your life. Um, you probably would want to get the arrow out of your chest, right? Like that might be high ish on the agenda. And if I say, okay, get it. I got it. You want to get the arrow out of your chest, but just assuming we get it out, what do you think you'll want to do for a career? You're not going to be able to think about anything but the arrow in your chest. So if you truly don't know what you love, there's something getting in your way. And it's usually, and this is a little different because you don't think of this as a trauma, but the trauma is your allegiance to the culture you're obeying. Ah, your fear. So good. Yeah, if you disobey that culture, you're going to run afoul of some folks. People are not going to like it. And that fear is very traumatizing. It separates you from your true self and it creates a wound. And until that wound is addressed, there will be nothing in you but a desire to just get away. Hmm. You won't be able to tell where you want to go. But if we do address the trauma, it's it's usually you can you can figure out what it is by saying what would i never do because it's so shocking it would so shock everyone yeah it would make everyone so upset it's a mm. social problem you have well you talk about that later on in the book and you say just because you're paranoid doesn't mean everyone isn't out to get you yeah so what yes. does that what does that mean well, first of all, the definition of everyone that I'm using is in social science is called the generalized other. Every one of us has in our sort of brain box a set of humans that we consider to be everybody. I see. But usually it's just a vague image of some people. I mean, so Kathy, right now, if you answer the question, um, everybody wants me to blank. What would come out of your mouth just randomly? Everybody wants me to blank. Take care of them. Okay. Now, here's a question. Name three. Three people? Who, what, <laughs> what three people have literally told you, Kathy, I want you to take care of me? I think the members of my family and close friends. 
Mm-hmm. That's usually all it it is. And the the members of your family create a pattern around which you form your close friendships. But when I phrased the question, I said everybody. Yep. So the brain takes about six people, maximum six people, blends them into this brew and calls it everybody. And we oh truly, gosh. in our hearts, believe that everybody wants this from us. I remember once sitting there with a man, a client who said his belief was all women want me to take care of them. And I said, okay, can you see any exceptions to that rule? And I sat there and his, his eyes just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, which is a sign that he was scanning his brain for any consciousness of a single woman oh my gosh. in the world who did not want him to take care of her. And That's I was sitting cool. right in front of him. <laughs> He couldn't think of anybody. He gave up. <laughs> he really, truly thought that it was everybody. But when I asked him who had actually told him that, it was just his wife and his mother. Yeah. So if, for the sake of three to six people, we drive ourselves to madness and um, we waste our lives and we end up bitter and hopeless. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, well, we can't do that. Yeah. That's not okay. And that everybody, those three people may actually think what you think they think. But that's it. Those are the only people. And really, do you want to hand your life over to them? Mm -mm. Really? Mm -mm. Nah. If you had to choose people to hand your life over to, those people wouldn't even make the list. So what does it mean getting everybody on your side? You talk about that in the book. See, when we think a thought, it actually creates a neural synapse, like an electrical connection in the brain itself. Mm -hmm. And when we think it, we wrap it in a layer of this fatty substance called myelin, which is like the insulation we put around electrical cords. And it, it creates this little electrical circuit. Hmm. And every time we, we think a certain thought, it wraps with another sheet of myelin. And the effect of that is that the belief feels more true and that we think it more quickly. Wow. It's also harder to think of alternatives. So when I asked that man, can you think of a single exception? to the rule, women want me to take care of them. He literally, this is a brilliant, brilliant man. He could not think of a single exception. And the reason was he had no myelin. He had no neural synapses that went to the thought, this woman doesn't want me to take care of her. There are a lot of women who do not need me to take care of them. He Mm -hmm. didn't have that thought. So I had to force him to think it. And at first, it's like laborious to try. It's like learning another language or learning math that you don't know. The brain struggles to make even that single connection. So you actually have to exercise it. You have to spend time. Every time you think, they all want me to take care of them. You have to stop and write down five people who don't. Yep. You have to start myelinating a different oh, circuit. I you, see. And eventually, the old circuit starts to wither. And then you really, truly believe that no one wants you to take care of them. Mm -hmm. It's kind of amazing. That's amazing. So later on in the book, you talk about charting your course. How do you do that? Well, once you've got to the place where you can feel your essential self, and it will start to pull you in different directions, and it it doesn't work. It doesn't like drop through your ceiling one night and give you a 10-point plan. Right, right. All it tells you is, wow, I really like cheese. You know, there's not a lot to work with in the beginning, or so it may seem. Yep. I mean, the woman who sat at my company said, I just wanted to read self-help books and make money doing it. Okay. That's what she knew. She liked reading self-help books and she wanted money. Yep. Fair enough. She found a way to do that. So once you've gotten free from your trauma and you can start to feel what you actually want, then you start to do this thing that you alternate. I don't know if it's in this book, but it's in one of my books. You alternate between what I call eagle vision and what I call mouse vision. You go way up high and you look at your whole life from beginning to end. Like, what do I want my legacy to be? What do I want to experience in my whole lifetime? And then you write those things down. And those are your distant goals, your bucket list. And then you drop down to the perspective of a mouse, which can only do one small thing that's right in front of its face. Mm. And you say, okay, what one thing today will take me toward that eagle vision? And you just keep taking mouse steps. That's good. And when you forget the eagle vision, you go back up and check it again. And you just alternate like that. And so you keep taking steps in the right direction. And that's really good. You go a long way that way. You talk about 
square one, death and mm. re- rebirth. Mm-hmm. How do you connect with the world in that way? What is your perspective on that? Well, in every culture, every traditional culture, the pattern of change in human life is not seen to be a straight line. In our culture, you're supposed to start small and weak and stupid, and then get progressively more powerful and intelligent and informed until Mm -hmm. you die. Mm -hmm. And going back is considered regressive and it's a shame. People are shamed for it and all that. Other cultures see the entire process of life as cyclical, as nature is cyclical. And in fact, this is how things really work. You're going along in life and then there will be an event that causes a significant change, not just in the details of your life, but in your very identity. So like a, a job change, a career change would be a, a significant thing. Well, at that point, you kind of, you go back to kindergarten, you become a beginner all over again. So I call that square one. Without being willing to jump into a new brand new, I don't know what I'm doing, you will never make significant changes. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, you have to... Uh, go through the period of not knowing what you're doing. And then you go through, there's also squares two through four, which is like, I compare it to a butterfly that goes into it, a caterpillar goes into its cocoon. And what it does in there is melt down. It doesn't just grow wings, it melts into a Mm. puddle. Mm. And that's what happens to us in square one. And then it, when it's all melted, it triggers a chemical reaction that starts restructuring a whole new creature, a totally different creature out of those same cells. And that a version of that happens to us as we go through every change in our lives. That's really cool. And it makes so much sense what you're saying. You have to be willing to let go and go into that beginner's mind in order to chart that new course. So I feel like no matter where you're at, even people who have lives where they're feeling fulfilled and they're successful or this one has this good thing going on or tough things. It's it's across the spectrum. I feel like when people really get quiet, they notice that their mind does a lot of suffering. Just a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of chatter and suffering and I I think that people they get tired of it. And we have so many advancements mm. in technology and we have so many advancements in sort of self-development, self-discovery. And I think that people, especially listening to this show, I think they come to the show because they're they're done. They want a breakthrough. They want to stop mm. talking about it and complaining about it. They want to see a change. I know for myself, and I, I've been a student of this stuff for a long time. I've been a seeker looking for answers and truth and practicing and showing up and rolling up my sleeves. And still, like I go to a meditation class and I'm like, look at that. Just like suffering, you know, how do you break through that? You stay. (laughs) Um, Pascal once famously said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Oh, that's good. And That's the whole thing. You know, you go to a meditation class, just realize Westerners tend to think that we're going to a meditation class so that we can think our way through our problems. But thinking is the problem. Yeah. Thinking is just thinking is like a big, powerful engine and it grinds away and it creates all these amazing things. But it has in itself, thinking has no compass and no charts. Those have to come from other parts of the self. And so when people try to get a breakthrough by staying in the head and and watching their thoughts, it's just like being in a blizzard all the time. You can't see anything. Yeah. It's just wind and whirling things. It's when you watch that happen for so long that one day you stop being the the snowstorm and you become what is watching the snowstorm. Yeah. That's the part that has the compass and the charts. It's a different actual location in the brain. It's actually at the back of the brain instead of um, in the forebrain. And it comes with a lot of interesting sensations, the feeling that you're connected to everything, Mm -hmm. um, a feeling of often of bliss or Mm -hmm. enjoyment, and a sense of quiet, of, of, of inner stillness, of peace. And then that becomes much, much, much more interesting than the noise. But you have to sit there for a long time and think that it's boring 
before you start to notice how interesting it actually is. Once you notice how interesting it actually is, you kind of start to crave it. And then all your instructions come from that place. God, I love that. That's so healing. All right, we've got a lot to get to, but first, a quick ad break. This episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. You guys, it makes my life so much easier. I've told my husband so many times if I could wave a magic wand and have anything, I would want food prepared for us every single night. And it takes all the guesswork out because it brings a box of food to my door where things are packed on dry ice. It's all fresh and we prepare it, but it takes all of the headache out of it. I don't have to go to the store and pick up the different ingredients and it can bring us the stuff that we eat. Recently, I tried the spicy facility pasta. It was delicious. Blue Apron is a leading meal kit delivery service in the US. While many people know what they do, many don't know about the types of meals you eat when you cook with Blue Apron. You're not just having burgers for dinner. You're making short rib burgers with a hoppy cheddar sauce on a pretzel bun. You're preparing seared steaks and thyme pen sauce with mashed potatoes, green beans, and crispy shallots, all in under 45 minutes and without a trip to the grocery store. The menu changes every week and customers can pick two, three, or four recipes based on what best fits their schedule. With incredible ingredients and chef-designed recipes, Blue Apron lets you see what the power of food can do. Blue Apron is treating my listeners to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash dreamjob. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off at blueapron.com slash dreamjob. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Another thing that comes up all the time is people will... They listen to people on the show who've achieved success and fulfillment and they think to themselves, well, that's great, except that there's no room for me. You know, there's already (laughs) 55 people who have bakeries in my town. So how can I create a bakery? Or I wanted to create a blog, but Martha Beck has been writing forever. Why why would I create a, why would I write anything? Why would I write a book? Why would I start a podcast? I used to sit in this superstore when I was writing my first book. I would go to this bookstore to get away from, you know, I'd get a babysitter for an hour and go to a bookstore to write. And I'd be surrounded by 50,000 books. And I would sit there thinking, this is ridiculous. This is a discretionary purchase. No one needs this. No one needs (laughs) any of these. And there are thousands of them. And then I get a book that I really love. And I just think, oh, my God. God, I can't exist without this book. Yep. I need this book. Yep. When that person wrote that book, there were probably thousands already in existence. Yep. Um, there just is endless variety. There is endless room for individuality. So your unique gift to the world, that's, that's kind of where I get a little woo-woo because I do think that your unique contribution, the thing that only your essential self can create, no one else can make it, is not only necessary, but it is desperately needed. Oh, it's beautiful. And that once you find it, it's your duty to give it to the world. Mm -hmm. It's the reason you're here. Well, you found a way to show up as yourself and the world heard it. If you were looking back, do you think that there is anything that you could sort of give over that maybe somebody else could put in their strategy toolbox Even if it's as simple as being authentic, like what do you think might be some of the reasons why it all worked? And it it wasn't just one book. There were several books and then you had other opportunities and you, I don't know if it's all easy to say, well, she was lucky and that's it. My last book, nobody would even touch it with a 10 foot pole. Oh, there you go. See some humility. Look at that. I wrote a novel, a novel, mind you, for a self-help author memoirist about a woman and a talking pig and nobody liked it (laughs) in the publication world and I was like well too bad I'm just going to publish it myself so I did I started my own press I published it myself I was just looking at an article today about what's a good selling book for a mainline publisher and was shocked to find that my little self-published novel has has sold more than Many, 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 many commercially produced books, which is nice, but this is like two years later. It didn't happen right away, but I wanted to write this book, damn it. And I wanted to write that book, not any book they wanted me to. So you asked for one simple rule, and I would say it's, it's the book I'm writing now. It's called The Integrity Cleanse. I just started to watch to see if what I was doing was absolutely, really, truly, fully what I wanted to do. 
And if it isn't, I won't do it. And if it is, I will do it no matter who says no. And it's a pretty brash way to live. But I've found that when I'm absolutely in integrity, two things happen. The first is that I'm much more considerate of other people. It does not turn me into a savage. It turns me into someone of much greater compassion. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that happens, I swear to God, is magic. Like everything starts to help me. And when I go against my integrity, everything tries to stop me. Wow. Not because it's mad at me or it wants to punish me, but because that's not how I'm meant to function. I'm just not in structural integrity. It's not about morality. It's just, is this true for you? Yeah. If it is, do it. If it's not, don't. The end. Yep. Yep. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, you did an event with Elizabeth Gilbert um, mm -hmm. where you were helping people transform sort of beyond limitations and how to use their own magic to tr transform their life. Would you give us a peek into what you were teaching there? All right. Full confession. It's in the book anyway. When I was pregnant with my son, one of the reasons I, I wasn't quick to terminate the pregnancy was that the whole time <sighs> I was kind of psychic. Like I suddenly became psychic. I I could see things at a distance that were happening to other people. What? I knew oh things would happen before they happened. I know, I know. I was getting a doctorate at Harvard. It was not on my agenda to become psychic. But even before I knew I was pregnant, it just started happening. Weird, weird stuff started happening. And I had to throw open the gates of my uh, willingness to believe. So instead of deciding that I would believe nothing till it was proven true, since you can't actually prove anything true anyway, because it's all subjectively perceived. Right. I said, okay, how's this? I will believe pretty much anything until I'm convinced it's not true. And that meant that I had to let in leprechauns and like, you know, <laughs> ET. I mean, I just, I went, <laughs> okay, let's just go for this thing. And I realized that our culture's definition of what is possible is very narrow compared to what actually is happening out there in the world. Wow. And at one point I ended up doing um, five years of research on shamanism and going around the world looking for shamans who could convince me that they weren't just hucksters. A lot of them were hucksters, but some of them convinced me that they weren't. And they were all doing a sequence of things to create what our culture would call magic. They just called it practice. You know, this is what you do. And uh, the first one is to get into that space of stillness that is wordlessness. And in there, as I said, it activates the part of the brain that feels as if it's one with all things. We say this is illusion. Other cultures say everything else is an illusion. And who's to know? They're just two different brain states, yes. right? So if you can go into that place and there are I mean, I wrote a book called Finding Your Way in a Wild New World, and it's about how to do business in a time of constant change, but it's really about magic. And you go into wordlessness and you feel the sense of oneness, and then you can start imagining things. And as you imagine them, you begin to create them, sometimes by rolling up your sleeves and sometimes because people come to you and situations happen to you in ways that just appear to be magical. It works. Try it. The directions are all in that book. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's in incredible. I love listening to you say that most people's definition of what's possible is so much more narrow than what really truly is. And it's, oh, ah, it's like sweet sake. nectar when you say it, because it's so liberating. We don't know anything. We don't know anything. Are you kidding what we know? Human beings see one trillionth of the available light spectrum. There are a trillion colors we don't know. We're just not at the top of the heap of universal knowledge that we imagine we you're are. so right and, and you went to harvard for god's sakes it's not like you're a person three times <laughs> i got three different degrees right. yeah i want to talk about this other book that you wrote you wrote a book called the joy diet which is an amazing title for a book and it's 10 daily practices um for a happier more fulfilling life so i think this is something everybody would love let's talk about What's in there? Why don't you tell yeah. us your favorites of those? Maybe we can start doing today. 
Well, the first one is nothing. So that's <laughs> do that. Yeah. Yeah, and my my editors were like, "No, no, no. We cannot begin a book by telling people to do nothing. That is just not going to sell." And I'm like, "Sorry, this is what comes yeah. first. If you can't do nothing, you can't do anything." Um and that's the whole thing of sitting quietly in a room alone. Yep. Like yeah, sit and breathe in and out for a while and get back in touch with your essential self. Feel what you feel, and it may not be pleasant. But you need to go there. So the first thing is do nothing for at least 15 minutes every day. And so the second thing, risk. It means that every day you do something that you know you want, but that frightens you. Because if you're not pushing that edge all the time, you never do anything new. So if you're going to really have a full life, you kind of need to push your edge. And I was... I am, have high, high anxiety. And when I was about 14, I realized I was getting agoraphobic. Like I really, truly just wanted to stay under the bed all the time. And I thought if I'm going to do anything in my life, I have to do one thing every day that scares me mm. and something that I want to do. So, you know, I'm not just going to run out in front of traffic, but I started doing one thing that scared me every day and I've been doing it ever since. And the thing that happens is that once you've done something that scares you several times, it stops scaring you. Mm. So in order to keep the pact, you have to do something bigger. And then you, and then you, that stops being frightening. And then you have to do something even bigger. And then that stops being frightening. And before you know it, you're doing all these things. And people think of you as someone who has no fear. And you're like, no, it's because of all this fear that I have done these things. Mm -hmm. It's just the rule that you have to do the thing that makes you afraid. Yeah, that's awesome. That's super awesome. Something you desire that scares you, do it once a day. It will take you everywhere. And I like that you have, well, I love all these things. I love play and I love connection. What do you mean by feasting? Do you mean just eating or do you mean like really feasting on joy or just having pleasure? What do you mean? Yeah, anything, anything that is a feast of the senses, because the body, again, is so important in determining what we do and keeping it happy is so it's like a really precious racehorse, like that we've spent trillions of dollars on. It's the most valuable thing we have. So you let it have feasts of the senses. So you can have a feast of touch. You can have a feast of visual beauty. You can have a feast. There are all kinds of feasts you can go on. I absolutely am obsessed with feasts of YouTube videos of animals, <laughs> especially animals that are saving each other. Oh, I know. It's really sweet. Yeah. You cannot keep me from doing it. There are so many ways we can feast yep. these days. You've said so many things and my my world is like spinning because I'm like, wow, that one sentence was worth everything that she just said that one sentence. <laughs> and thinking back to what you were saying before about how you you were just saying that risk is one of the things that's in the joy diet. And you also talked about the story where you were willing to like tell your memoir. I think that so much of your life sort of cracked open in that vulnerability, like in being vulnerable and telling your truth. It always, it just does that and does that and does that and does that. It just keeps going. When you do something that scares you, everything. The reason I kept my child was that I was, I was in a lot of practice doing things that scared me. The reason I wrote the memoir was that I have practice in doing, I don't, it doesn't bother me when things scare me. I mean, it does. It bothers me. I don't sleep. I, my teeth chatter, but I don't care. <laughs> you tolerate it. Yeah. <laughs> you tolerate it. Yeah. And that just means that over and over and over and over again, you become vulnerable. It's like there's an image in European mysticism, like Dante's Inferno, mm-hmm. and in Eastern mysticism with the jewel at the heart of the lotus that is of a many-petaled flower that just keeps blooming open, 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 open. Mm. Every bloom is a new shade of vulnerability. But if you keep risking and you keep doing what gives you the light, then ultimately they say there is a jewel at the heart of the lotus. There is something in there, the true Mm -hmm. you without fear and without suffering that finally unfolds from the very center of that. Yeah. 
So I'm going to either do that or die trying. Yeah, that's amazing. It's an incredible image because it helps to, to really picture yourself opening up, opening up and keep going. Mm-hmm. There's something I feel like people have this feeling of like, I'm not enough. I can't. I'm not enough. There's like this inadequacy feeling, this imposter syndrome. I can't be vulnerable. I can't go for that thing. I'm not enough. She could write a book, not me. I'm not good enough. I don't or I don't deserve it. I'm not enough. How do we deal with this? This is what I hear all the time. And sometimes I hear it in my own self. So day before yesterday, I finished doing, uh, creating some materials for a writing course that I've been creating. And I had finished, oh, doing maybe, I don't know, three solid months of 10 hour days creating content for this. I mean, it was a big project and I had like two five minute videos I was making and I was Going into the place to record the video, I was like yelling to my friend, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. (laughs) Oh my God, you, you thought that? I can't believe that. Of course. That's what, I mean, if you don't feel that, you're probably not pushing your edge hard enough. But, you know, and you get to yell and scream and kick and fuss, and then you get in there and you freaking do it. And it's just a matter of, of saying it's not it's not so much courage as do I really want to live my life saying I chickened out do I really want to look back on this and say that I didn't do this thing that was in front of me I really don't want that future I'm going to go in and do it and half the time I fall on my face I have many more failures than I have successes that's true of every successful person and it's just it's still it's much more worth it to take the risk and go and do what you're not good enough to do and see what happens than it is to hide in a little ball and never even see. Oh my gosh, it's amazing to hear you say all those things because it's hard to think of you thinking that, but then of course you're a person. Every and day. Yes, me too. And But I mean, you, like you, you're Oprah's life coach, like Oprah, like she... She's somebody I think. No, I'm just a life coach. Oprah knows. <laughs> no, she loves you. Well, I will tell you when I, I went to talk to her one time, I don't remember what was going on, but I had a chance to talk to her and um, she was in the middle of a project and she said, I am terrified and I'm fine. You know, she's not immune either. We are, there's not the idea that any person on the face of this earth is immune to that fear is you just need to get rid of it. Yeah, that's so comforting. That's so kind and generous that you would share all of those things. Just the way Hmm. you talk, you just make such a space for everyone to feel Hmm. like they're seen. They're okay. Yeah. And the way you talk is like not from some ivory tower with all these answers. It's sort of like, you got this. You got Don't this. Don't mind. You're good. But we're, we're all, yeah, we're all good. I was just going to quote Evan Alexander, who's this neurosurgeon. I love him. And, uh, oh my God, I love awesome? him. He's changed my life. My grandmother passed away and I was really close with her and I had never had someone close to me die, which means that was really lucky. And then when she died, I felt really depressed and down and all this stuff. Mm. And for a couple of years, I felt like, I don't know where she is. I think she's in the ground. I think there's nothing. Huh? And then one mm. night I decided I was going to get quiet and close my eyes and actually pray, which I hadn't done in two years. Hmm. And I said, grandma, if you're there, would you give me some kind of a sign? And I heard her say, just go into YouTube and type the words, you know, life after death or whatever. And she said, you're going to watch a video and you're going to hear a story. And my name and your name are going to be two really prevalent things in this person's story. So I'm like, that's just a voice in my head. And so his video comes up where he's like telling his whole story. And sure enough, he says that he finally gets to this like really critical part of the story where he, he goes back to the orphanage where he was first found. And right. the woman's name was Betty. And that was my grandma's name. And he hadn't used anyone's Ugh. names up to that point. And then he finds Ugh. out he finds out he had this sister and her name's Kathy. That's my name. And I started mm. bawling and I couldn't believe what he was saying because I was like, what if you're right? Wouldn't that just be the best? Like, if there's something else, wouldn't that just wouldn't be the it, best? And we have no idea whether no. it is or not. So why not believe what oh, makes us happy as long as it doesn't hurt anyone? Yeah, go ahead. Even but Alexander. Remember what he said he learned? Three, he came back with three things that he knew very clearly. He said there was infinite stuff and he could never unpack it. But the three things he remembered were, number one, you were infinitely loved. 
Number two, you are always safe. And number three, there's no possible way you can make a mistake. Mm. You cannot get this wrong. It's all a big simulator. You are in a simulator. Go for it. And uh, if that floats your boat, then believe it. And if it doesn't, then don't. I'll be over there doing my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, I have tears streaming down my face right now. I think that whenever mm. anyone says those words and you let those words in, you are infinitely loved. I think that this is the, if you can pinpoint the issue, I think people feel like they're not, like they're not worth it. Like they have to earn it all the time. Like it mm-hmm. won't be there if they make a wrong move. Um, That's our culture. Yeah. That was an amazing, amazingly kind and courageous thing to say. Nah, it's just, if it, if it hurts badly, dare to believe it might be because that's not a true thing. If it gives you joy and cracks you open in a wonderful way, take a gamble, believe that it might be true. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Who cares? You're going to be wrong about something one way or the other. Yeah. So I have a few more questions, but before we do that, let's thank one of our sponsors. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting our show. Skillshare is an amazing online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and more. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set, start a side hustle, or build your own business, Skillshare will keep you learning in 2018 and beyond. Whenever I have downtime, instead of watching TV, for me, I'm like super obsessed with being productive. And so I go into Skillshare and there's just so much stuff I can learn. There's a class I loved on powerful storytelling and strategies for crafting great content. I think you guys would love it. I think it's really helpful for anybody, no matter what your business is, is to think about creating content. Also, there's a whole thing on just like illustration and tips you can use to speed up your workflow. Really great stuff in there. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare just for 99 cents. That's right. Two months of unlimited access to over 18,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash dream job. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash dream job to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash dream job. So as we are closing, you mentioned that you were working on a course or a program for writers. So tell us about it. How can people find it? Because there's a lot of writers who listen to this. It's called Write Into Light because it's about writing as a tool to get into the depth of your own truth Mm -hmm. so that you can like find out what really makes you happy and start to do it. There are lectures that I give and then there are exercises that you do and then share with your writing buddies that are designed to take you into your truth. And Liz Gilbert and I were talking about the writing exercises we do on our own for our own selves in our journals. And it turned out we both use writing this way. Wow. And that most of our work comes out of this. And we were like, wow, why not give this to people as a way to to be happier, to discover about more about themselves and also a way to write better. So it's called Ride into Light and it's it's on my website or it's at rideintolight.com and it's just now closing the registration by think if you register if you go to it now you we can squeak you in. Yeah, I hope so. It's really really fun. Would this be a good program for somebody who's not a person who wants to write and publish a book? Is this good for anybody to just get creative and Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a way to have the comforting voice come into the room. The voice, you know, when you feel so alone and you don't know you're good enough, you can use writing as a way to access the knowledge, the sort of very deeply buried knowledge, or who knows, maybe the the knowledge in the air around us that says you're good enough. <laughs> Here's a way that you can handle this situation. Um, it's what Liz Gilbert did when she was, her marriage was ending and she was miserable on the floor of the bathroom and she needed, she needed to get out of her marriage. And she went off and she wrote this book that was just about trying to figure herself out. And, you know, 12 million people read yeah, it. Yeah, I, I heard so, about that book. Yeah, it did well. Yeah, I, yeah, I <laughs> some book or other. But, Eat, you know, she wasn't pray, doing so. it. She was using writing to find her truth and to find her sanity and to find comfort Beyond everything, she was looking for comfort. And that's how I've always used writing as well. Amazing. So you write and you ask questions and and then you, you let something else write back. 
or you make something up and write it back and then it turns out it's much better than you expected. Amazing. Last year we did it for the first time and people were shocked by what they wrote to themselves. They were like, I've never written anything this good. And these were people who weren't writers, but they could be. Oh my gosh, I want to do it. That sounds amazing. It's super fun. It's super fun. So as people are signing off, what's your advice? If, if there's one takeaway message, what do you want to tell people? It's what Goethe said. It's so simple. When you trust yourself, you will know how to live. That's all there is. Mm. Don't need to have any complicated details. You'll just get bogged down in them. Trust yourself in the deepest way and you will know how to live. So beautiful. You're like an exquisite beam of light that has a body and says <laughs> things with your mouth. But it's like coming from some other place. It's just so channeled. You just... You described everybody. You just described everybody. Oh my God. See, it's so like you to do that. You see what you did with that? And you're right. <laughs> yes. Okay. So where can people find you, Martha Beck? I don't know. On my website, on social media, like I show up, my Facebook page. Um, I do a, a little weekly thing called the gathering room that is just show up and we do Q&A about crazy spiritual and other topics. Oh my gosh. So where's that on Facebook? Yeah. Martha Beck Facebook page. Thank you for being you. Thank you for going through the quest of your life every day. That's brought you these answers and this wisdom. Thank you for sharing it so generously with us and for continuing to soldier on and make more good things. Really. Thank you so much. Same to you, Kathy. Thank you for all those things. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. Wow, so much good stuff. Here are some of my takeaways. Number one, if there's something you hate so much that it makes you sick, do less of it. If there's something that makes you happy, do more of it. It's that simple. Number two, you can't hide your essential self forever. Listen to your body because it's trying to guide you. Number three, don't waste your life for the sake of three to six people. They are not everyone. Number four, practice thinking the alternative. Create a different circuit in your brain until it becomes a belief. Number five, take mouse steps towards your eagle vision. Number six, if you're not willing to jump into a new square one, you'll never make a change. Number seven, no one else can make what you make. It's desperately needed and it's your duty to give that to the world. Number eight, do nothing. Enjoy the stillness. Number nine, take a risk by doing one thing a day that scares you. When it stops scaring you, go bigger. Number 10, you are infinitely loved. You are always safe and there's no possible way you can make a mistake. Number 11, if you trust yourself, you'll know how to live. What an incredible conversation. The thing that I was most struck by was how she says so simply that joy is enough of an excuse for for being and that that's really why we're here. And I love that she wrote a whole book called The Joy Diet. And after talking to her, I find myself, you know, thinking like, why not just turn up the music sometimes while I'm getting dressed and have a dance party? Or why not go to the grocery store and even if I don't need to buy them, like get myself flowers just because they're beautiful. I think we need to start expanding our capacity for joy. And I think we need to do it more. I think it's like a decision. And I think that quite often we're not in the practice of remembering that maybe that's the reason why we're here. And if it is, make sure that you don't let a day go by without doing things that bring you joy or being around people that bring you joy or making sure that you stop and come back and think things that bring you joy. You deserve it. You're worth it. And... I think that that's a really positive thing to take from this. And I love her idea of looking out the window sort of at this blizzard. And when you're in the middle of all these thoughts, maybe you can just like give yourself a word like, come back, come back. And just try to notice if you can bring yourself back to the person who's observing that blizzard so you don't stay in it, you know, stuck in it all the time. Because when you come back, she's right. There is this place that it is super satisfying to just like really sink into this place that is observing all that. There is a, a, a true self inside of all of us that is always at peace. And it's, it's so aware of the interconnectedness of everything. And there's so much there's just so much wholeness um, and contentment and it's always within reach. 
I just think we have to be aware that sometimes we're, we're caught in a blizzard and we have to bring ourselves back. So I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, um, because you guys are so amazing and you're taking so much, so much of this stuff and integrating it. So Amanda Jean DuPont, she posted in the Facebook group. She said, my older sister was the one who introduced me to don't keep your day job. It inspired us both in many ways. Today, she launched her first children's chapter book on Amazon. And I couldn't be more proud. Like Kathy Heller says, we live the lives we are willing to tolerate. And my sister is willing to tolerate nothing less than a life full of her passion, which is writing. And she wrote this beautiful book called Lost in the Valley of the Kings. I'm so proud of her. Her name is Jacqueline Landry and Amanda is her sister. And thank you, Amanda, for flying your sister's flag like that and supporting her. And thank you for letting us know that. And I'm, I'm so proud of you guys. I'm so proud of you for deciding to have the courage instead of sitting back and thinking about things to go ahead and do it. I do think that the clarity comes from the action And I do think that magic happens. Magical things happen when you will follow your bliss. You guys, if you love this episode, please take a second to share it with a friend. If there's a different episode that you really were inspired by, share it with a friend. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening on your podcast app on your iPhone, on the bottom uh, right corner, there's three dots. If you um, touch those three dots... Um, a menu comes up with different options. And the, the last option says share episode. If you click that, you can so easily just take the episode and you can text it to a friend. You can email it to a friend. You can post it on Facebook. So go ahead and give that a whirl and tag me if you want. I will thank you for the support. If I can be of help to you, if you want to reach out to me, come follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller. I will always be here to support you and remind you that you're amazing and you're brilliant and you have something that the world needs. Never forget that. I'll talk to you guys next week. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.
Charged like a soldier.